Could we just do that all over this house right now? Could you just raise your hands and glorify the name that is above every other name? Hallelujah. I believe the Lord is worthy to be praised here tonight. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. We glorify you, Lord, today, God. You're worthy, Lord Jesus. You're worthy, Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad to be in God's house tonight? Amen. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you look good tonight on Wednesday night. Amen. We're glad that you're here tonight. And uh, on behalf of Pastor Sister Neeland, they're traveling today. They're at General Conference in Orlando. They're actually honoring Pastor's father, um, Legacy Day on Friday. So he felt like he should be there uh, for that. And so he said... I'll be back as quick as I can to be here Sunday. And so we have a great expectation for what God's going to do this weekend. Amen. What a message he preached on this last Sunday. How many of you were here last Sunday preaching on the love of God, how God created us? I know he wants to finish that, Lord willing. But tonight, we are going to dive right into a, a new series. We did a series in the summer on the Psalms. I think... A lot of us got something out of that. I hope you did. And uh, we're excited about this series. We're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody say the fruit of the Spirit. Look at your neighbor and say the results of a Spirit-led, Spirit-lived life is God's characteristics living out of us. Amen? You believe that? So I'm excited about this series. So we're going to turn, you're going to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, the very famous text. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that I'm, I just, I just want to stop and say something real quick. I want to stop and you keep playing, Ashton, I'm sorry. I want to stop and just say thank you. Thank you for loving me and my family. Thank you for putting up with us, broken leg, trying to move and all but just thank you thank you for loving my son my son loves to come to church here when he walks in the door I know that he feels loved and it's because of your love to us and I just want to say thank you thank you for for loving us thank you for loving the Grigsby's and we love TPC very much amen so thank you very much Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 I say then, walk in the Spirit. Everybody say, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts after the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And those are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not what? Under the what? Under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit, everybody say the fruit of the Spirit capital S there that means what the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God is say with me love joy 
peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look at your neighbor and say, oh my. Some of us need some work, right? (laughs) Against such there is no law, and those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. Everybody say walk in the Spirit. We gave you a handout today because I've got a lot of content, and we're just going to lay an introduction tonight. But I just want to ask the Lord, let's pray and just ask the Lord to speak to us. Can we do that? I'm not going to preach to you tonight. I'm going to just teach. I'm going to try to lay a foundation for pastor to come next week and dive into these fruits individually. But I just want the word of God to go forth and do its work. Is that okay? Lord, we thank you for your presence and your power. We thank you for this beautiful worship today. We thank you, Lord, that you're in this room. We thank you for your word. I'm just praying, Lord, that your word would go forth as we teach and talk today. Lord, let it lay a foundation in our heart. Let it bring conviction and correction, Lord. Let it bring life and encouragement to us tonight. We give you all praise and all glory in Jesus' name. If you're thankful for the word of the Lord as you're seated, could you put your hands together one more time and thank him for his word. Amen. As I said, I'm, I'm going to slow down and, and just try to teach. Is that, is that okay? Now, I know that some of you have heard me teach or I've tried to teach and wound up preaching. You know how that goes. You treach, right? That's what my wife calls it, treach. But I, I really want us to dive deep into this because what happens is when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, we automatically, most of us who have grown up in church, We've heard this from where? From Sunday school on up, right? Anybody with me? Okay, we've got it on stickers. We've got it on our magnets, on our refrigerator. We've got some people have got it on their t-shirt. We've got it everywhere about the fruit of the Spirit. And what happens is, is we go quickly into Galatians 5 and we recite it. Some of you have it memorized and we fly through it like a checklist and just say what we said a while ago, oh man, I need some work on this area here. And it's easy for us to fly through this because many of us have heard something about the fruit of the Spirit somewhere in our life. How many of you somewhere in your life you've heard the fruit of the Spirit taught, preached, or something, okay? I know you have here because your pastor is always encouraging us to do what? Bear fruit. Everybody say bear fruit. So what I would like to do in the next 30 minutes or so is actually try to dive a little bit deeper and lay a foundation even all the way back to the Old Testament. Is that okay? And dive a little bit deeper into God's word and look at this and see what the base of this is. Where is Paul coming from? Where, what, what's he talking about? Why is he using the language that he uses? And I, I'm going to encourage you uh, between now, this Wednesday and next Wednesday to go home and read the entire book of Galatians. Maybe read it over and over. You can read it in just a few moments. It won't take you very long. It's a short book. But just dive deep into what Paul's talking about here because this doesn't just stand alone. There's a foundation here, okay? Galatians has historically been held as an epistle, a letter, about the doctrine of justification. Everybody say justification. 
and rightly so. What is justification? Justification is the act of God where he pardons our sin and accepts us as perfectly righteous. Aren't you thankful for that? Not because of our own righteousness, but because of who? Because of Jesus Christ. Amen? He accredits the perfect obedience of Christ to our account. We don't have time to get into depth about that. But what many may not realize is that the, this epistle, this letter that Paul has written to Galatia also deals with matters related to our sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. So we've got these two big religious words here, justification, say that with me, justification and sanctification. So sanctification is understanding that God has saved us, all right? Sanctification is the process in what we'll be doing what? We're becoming more like who? We're becoming more like Jesus. How are we walking out this sanctification? We're walking out this sanctification through the power of God's word, his grace, amen, and through the power of the Holy Ghost, amen? So this is really what, this is a combination. This letter to Galatia is a combination about justification and sanctification. But the fruit of the Spirit has to do with our sanctification. He's told the Galatians and the false teachers that have tried to engage them that they are not justified or saved by their own obedience, by their own obedience to the law, but instead by looking at the finished work of the cross that Jesus came and died for our sins. Jesus' obedience throughout the entirety of his life, in other words, Jesus lived the life that we could not live. And he died the death that we should have died. What does that mean? Jesus lived a life of what? Perfect obedience. And when we're justified by that salvation, that perfection of his obedience uh, is now what? It's been applied to our life. Aren't you thankful for that? I said, aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that because guess what? In my humanity, I can't obey enough. Jesus' death becomes our death. The suffering under the penalty of the law through faith alone. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And it signals to us a future resurrection. Again, by faith. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot look inward. I said we cannot look inward in our nature for our salvation. We must look outside of ourselves by faith alone in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Amen? My response to the gospel uh, is to live a life of obedience uh, and allow the Spirit of God to bring me into full maturity in Jesus Christ. And this process, everybody say this process. Look at your neighbor and say, we're all in a process. Look at your other neighbor and say, you haven't arrived yet. It's a process, and this process is called sanctification, and the fruit of the Spirit are the measurements of our maturity. As we proceed, I think it's crucial that we set aside, just as I saw, uh, said this a uh, while ago, our familiarity with the latter portion of chapter 5. Too often, I believe, when we come to this famous passage on the fruit of the Spirit, we recite the list quickly, and then we move on 
right? We move on instead, but we want to end this series. We hope to explain what Paul has written to help us better understand the instruction that he has given. And I believe that Paul has given us a beautiful, profound, biblically informed instruction. What am I, what do I mean by that? When I say biblically informed, I mean that he has the fabric of the Old Testament. Everybody say the Old Testament. The Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, is still relevant. Are you, are you with me? I know this is Bible class, but the Old Testament is still relevant. In fact, without the Old Testament, there's no New Testament. Amen? So the Old Testament, right, there's shadows and typologies. There's things in the Old Testament that point us to an understanding of what Paul is trying to talk to us about. Specifically in the imagery, the Old Testament, this idea of Israel coming out of Egypt through the Exodus. Everybody say the Exodus. It's important for us to remember that this Old Testament exodus is it echoes behind what Paul is writing now to the Galatians in the book of Galatians. And it will help us to understand what Paul is writing. So I put a lot of notes, but most of them are scriptures and we're going to go through them quickly because there's a lot of information here. So in your notes, it, looking at the idea of the understanding of slavery and bondage under the law, it is important that we first remind ourselves of the broader context of Paul's letter, particularly the way that he has characterized life under the law. Recall the language that Paul has used to depict already in Galatians chapter 3. Now before faith came, we were what? We were held what? Captive uh, under the law, imprisoned uh, until the coming faith that would be revealed. Uh, Elsewhere, Paul writes a more specific manner calling life under the law, slavery. Formerly, in Galatians 4, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? It may be appropriate at this point to ask why. Why would Paul characterize a life under the law or even under the Mosaic Covenant as one of bondage and slavery? The evidence seems to indicate that Paul has, when he looks back at the Old Testament, uh, this Old Testament exodus, uh, that their slavery, okay, and their bondage is to Pharaoh and to Egypt. And in the minds of a biblically informed first century Jew, words such as slavery, bondage, and captivity would invoke the images that they all knew. They all knew the story of Israel being in bondage to Egypt. And they knew the story of Moses, the great one, the great leader of Israel who came out and would lead Israel out of bondage. But in the New Testament, it is not Moses who leads the people of God, but rather Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Moses. Amen? I said the one who is greater than Moses, as Paul explains in the previous chapter of the Galatians, uh, Christ was born under the law to redeem we who were under the law so that Paul says that we might be adopted uh, as God's children. Uh, Paul's point uh, is when a person uh, looks 
to Jesus Christ by faith. When they surrender their life in obedience to them. And they are filled with the power of that salvation. We are now free from the bondage of the law. And we are free from the law of sin and death. Amen. This is what happens to us as a believer. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, uh, the promises of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Uh, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, our redemption from slavery and the bondage of the law by the work of Christ. Uh, and our reception of the Holy Ghost. Uh, requires greater amplification and understanding. Uh, we have to understand this. Uh, the Bible is not two sections. Uh, it's one story. Uh, it has one theme. Uh, and that theme is redemption. Uh, it has one main character. Uh, and that main character is Jesus Christ. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is not about us. Let me help you with that. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is not some help, a self-help book. Uh, the Bible is not some, just something we stick a few scriptures on the refrigerator and makes our day better. No, the Bible is a story uh, about a redeeming God uh, who refused to leave us uh, under the bondage of sin uh, and the slavery of that sin. So it's important for us to, when we look at the New Testament, we cannot ignore what the Old Testament is saying as well. So what happened during the Old Testament exodus? And why would Paul have this event in the back of his mind? Because you got to understand, Paul was a brilliant man. He learned and he understood. He most likely had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized by heart, most likely. He understood the power of this law. There are a number of instances in the books of the prophets which provide interesting information concerning the Exodus. The prophet Isaiah, this is in your notes, in Isaiah 63. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Who caused his glorious arm to go out to the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them from the depths like a horse? in the desert that they not stumble like livestock they go down into the valley and the spirit of the Lord everybody say the spirit of the Lord gave them rest so you led your people to make for you a glorious name but notice understand this Israel walks out of Egypt and they walk out under the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit of God amen the prophet Nehemiah uses the same Old Testament imagery when he describes the Exodus. A pillar of cloud to lead them in the way that they did depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night for them the way which they should go. You gave your what? Good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. All of these pictures and these passages paint a picture of God placing his spirit in the midst of his people during this exodus. 
When we consider this Old Testament background as well as what Paul has stated thus far concerning the freedom from slavery and the bondage of the law, hopefully we can listen to Paul now in a new light uh, when he says in Galatians 5, 16, uh, but I say what? Walk. Everybody say it with me. Walk by what? The Spirit and do not gratify the lust of your flesh. Wonder why Paul would say walk. Think about that for a second. Wonder why Paul would say walk by the Spirit. Why not live by the Spirit? Why not think by the Spirit? Why not seek the Spirit? I believe Paul uses this phrase because the apostle has the collective imagery of this exodus in the back of his mind. God leading his people through the wilderness with a cloud and a pillar of fire. In other words, the Old Testament foreshadows the redemption that was soon to come through Jesus Christ. But Christ, like Moses before, in a greater way, has liberated his people from the bondage and the slavery of the, of the law. And like Israel of old, God's people must follow the Spirit on their pilgrimage uh, to a promised land. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this world is not our home. Let me say that again. This world is not our home. I believe there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But the world as we know it is not our home. What are you saying, David? We're on a pilgrimage, but we're being led by the Spirit of God to New Jerusalem. So here Paul is saying we must follow the lead of the Holy Ghost. And if we do so, then we will not desire to satisfy or gratify the wicked desires of the flesh. Notice how Paul takes the desires of the flesh. It is totally opposite to the desires of the spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, Galatians 5, 17. And the desires of the spirit are what? They're at war with the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Here Paul shows us the total contradiction, nature of our former lives under the bondage of the curse of the law versus our existence of life in Christ. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, we have been set free. I cannot say that to you enough. We have been set free from the bondage of the law. We have been set free from the curse of sin and death. We have been given power to live as overcomers right now, today, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Is anybody with me tonight? I know it's Wednesday night, but are you with me? Uh, God has made a way out of the, out of the bondage uh, of sin and death uh, and the slavery to our old self. Uh, no longer do I have to live uh, like I used to live. I have the power of God living on the inside of me. What does that mean, David? That means that I don't have to sin. In my old sinful nature, I would want to sin. And my flesh would empower me to sin. But now I don't have to sin. Why? Because the Spirit of God living on the inside of me empowers me not to even want to sin. 
That's why we have to understand what Paul's saying. We talked about it a few weeks ago, and we'll talk about it here in a second. But we are brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. What did he tell the Corinthians? If you're a brand new creature, then the old things are passed away. And behold what? Everything has become new. That means I don't have to live my old way. I don't have to live in the past of my old addictions. I don't have to live in the past. In other words, my thinking has been changed. Are you with me tonight? I said my thinking has been changed. The desires of my heart have been changed. Am I still living in this flesh? Absolutely. But my spirit man has been what? It's been redeemed. And my spirit man is empowered by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I have the spirit of Christ living on the inside of me. And so when I look at the things and the failures of my life, I can set them at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, that's not who I am today. Today, uh, that may be who I used to be, uh, but today uh, I am a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. We can state that this is the antithesis. The works of the flesh are anti, everybody say anti, to the fruit of the spirit. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Sound like the world you live in? Amen? Inordinate sexual desires are complete and total opposite of what? Of love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I've been set free from the former things uh, and the curse of the law uh, that justly should have fell upon me. Uh, I have been redeemed by the power of his blood uh, and empowered through the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Why? Uh, Because God knew that I could not do this by my myself. Religious obedience will always fail. The only obedience that will live and walk out forever is empowered by the Holy Ghost. Amen? Quite literally, the flesh and the spirit are two ways that Paul refers to two entirely different worlds. The former is the fallen king. And the reign of the first Adam. The latter is the righteous reign. And the kingdom of the last Adam who is Jesus Christ. The former is the old creation that's passing away. The latter is the new creation that has come. And continues to unfold through the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Paul is explaining it in greater detail. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. We just quoted it. He is a new creation. And the old has passed away. Notice what he says. The old has what? Past. It has what? It has what? Past. In other words, the old me is yesterday. The old me has been what? Buried in the waters of baptism. The new me came up out of the waters of baptism and has been empowered through the power of the Holy Ghost. And now the new man has come. Another example of this Old Testament background recalls what Ezekiel prophesied concerning the work of the Holy Ghost, the consequent godliness that would manifest in believers. He says this in Ezekiel 36. How many of you have children that are away from God? You've been praying for them. You need to get your Bible out and mark this scripture down and pray it every day. 
I've done youth ministry for a bazillion years. That's how old I am. That's how old I feel. And every parent that I've ever counseled, counseled about their children who are far from God, I've taken them this to this scripture. What does it say? It's a prophecy about Israel. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of the stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Moms and dads, you should get that scripture out and you should start praying that over your lost children. Lord, I thank you that you are going to take my child and take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I thank you, Lord. Is somebody with me tonight? I thank you, Lord, that you're going to take out the heart of stone and you're going to put your spirit within them. I thank you, Lord, that all the hardness in their life, all the coldness in their life, uh, all the deadness in their life uh, has to fall and worship you uh, as you fill their life with the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that they get so tired uh, of being hard-hearted and cold-spirited that they turn their life back to you. I would pray it every day. I would pray it every day. So Paul restates the same truth in a, in a similar way. That once again, again, with the backdrop of the Old Testament in view. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but what? By the power of the what? The Spirit. Everybody say the Spirit. Of what? The living God. Not on tables of stone, but on the tablets of what? human hearts. God gave Moses the law on Sinai on tablets of stone. But now under the final exodus led by Jesus Christ, God now writes his law where? In our hearts. So for this reason, Paul can tell the Galatians, but if you are led by the spirit, you are no longer under the law. If the Spirit leads us, then we have the law of God written on our hearts. Mm. Let me say that again. If the Spirit leads us, then we have the law of God written on our hearts. And we have the indwelling power of God recreating us. I said he's recreating us. I'm in a process. I'm not there yet. But he's remaking David Grigsby into the image of Jesus Christ. And he is empowering me to say no to my flesh. Are you with me? We're not trapped under the demands for perfect obedience. I'm not saying that. Why? Because Jesus Christ has perfected obedience on our behalf. Like Christ who is himself led by the Spirit where? After baptism, what happened to Jesus? The Bible says that immediately what? The Spirit led him where? Into the wilderness. And he was what? Tested and tempted. We who are united to Christ, uh, when we are tested and when we are tempted, anybody been tested and tempted by, by the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost uh, and by faith, uh, we have the ability to say no to the temptations of sin. Ladies and gentlemen, it's, this, it's just this simple. No spirit, no power. I can say amen when we go home, Brother Jerry. 
No spirit, no power. God's spirit, all the power that you need. I said, God's spirit, all the power that you need. David, do we fail? Do we fall into temptation? Do we stumble? Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. But what I'm telling you is you have the power to get back up. I said, you have the power to get back up. Is somebody with me here today? Is somebody lived long enough uh, with an understanding of what I'm talking about? Maybe been filled with the Holy Ghost 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I don't care how long it is. You're still going to fail. You're still going to fall. You're still going to stumble. But you have the power to get back up. Come on, somebody. Uh, What's going to get you into heaven? Uh, What's going to get you into heaven is the power of the Holy Ghost. Resurrection power. Now I feel like preaching. Praise God. Everything that lies on or below the surface of these verses help us to understand what Paul is saying in a deeper way so that his instruction can be of great benefit of our growth. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not give us these things to turn them into bumper stickers or cute t-shirts. God gives us these things so that we will grow. Right? Let me say that again. So we can grow. Anybody ever had growing pains? Right? I don't know what that is, but that's what they used to tell us as kids. You got growing pains. I don't know what that is. But I know there's growing pains in the spirit. We haven't arrived. Maybe I'm the only one. I haven't arrived. God is more interested in your growth than he is your comfort. Now that was uncomfortable to say. And it's uncomfortable to hear. But it's more uncomfortable to live out. God's more interested in your growth. God is more interested in your fruitfulness. What do you think he told the disciples in John 15? I I wanted to teach from there, but it didn't make it to my notes. What, What did he tell the disciples in John 15? He said what? I am the vine. You are the what? The branches. But he says this. He says, apart from me, you will what? Do nothing. And he says to produce growth in your life. He says, you're either growing or you're dead. I don't like the options, but that's his options, right? So I'd rather be growing. Amen. Amen. Which would you rather have, a pruning or a cutting off totally and thrown into the fire? That's what he said. Because here's the thing. They prune to make sure that the vine is healthy and it grows and it produces even more than it did before. If you've ever been to a vineyard of any sort and you've looked at the main piece of that trunk of that vine coming out of that ground, it's not smooth and pretty. It's gnarly. It's cut up. You want to know why? Because those vine dressers will literally cut. They will take tools at certain times of the year and they will cut into that bark. Why? Because that vine begins to repair itself and in that that repairing process, it starts to suck the nutrients out of the ground to feed itself and to fix itself. And so the ones that are the most cut up and ugliest looking are probably producing the best grapes. That's free. 
And we look at our lives and we say, God, what can you do with this? Just look at the mirror in the morning as I tell my wife, honey, I'm glad you love me. I think she's watching. I'm thankful you love me because it's a pitiful looking face in this mirror. Amen. Are you with me? And so we look at this life and we say, oh man, what's, how, why, why are all these things? Because God is doing what? He's, he is growing us into a place of abundance. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if we didn't have any trouble, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to appreciate God's grace. Amen. Those who have been redeemed by Christ are marked by the indwelling power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. This means that we are to be marked by righteousness and godliness, and or more basically, that we are marked by good works. Everybody say good works. At the same time, I also hope that we have a greater understanding of our sanctification. I wish I could get to all of this, but I'm not going to be able to get to all this. But just look at 1 Corinthians 10 real quick. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was who? Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, right? With, with most of them, God was not pleased. Remember the story? Many people in Israel did not make it across to the promised land. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why? Because of their rebellion. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Ladies and gentlemen, before we complain and judge Israel, we are just as prone to wonder as Israel is. Amen? But at the same time, we have a greater resource at our hand, namely the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost. Unlike Old Testament Israel who had the law written on tablets of stone, we now have the law written upon the tablets of our heart. We also have the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost enabling us to be obedient. This hopefully alerts us to an important point that so many Christians miss, namely the nature of our sanctification. The law could not produce godliness all right? The law only condemned sin. Obedience does not produce godliness. Obedience that is carried out in the power of the flesh always fails. Uh, but only through the power of the Holy Ghost uh, that is producing his fruit in us uh, and enabling us to be obedient, uh, then those good works will flow out of that obedience. Remember what pastor preached on Sunday morning? Uh, we do not obey to get him to love us. He loves us, so now we get to obey. Are you with me? I said, because he loves us, uh, we can walk in a place of obedience. Uh, but if we do not walk in a place of obedience, uh, empowered by the Holy Ghost, it will fail. 
Christ has freed us from the power of sin and death through the power of the gospel. Now Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, uh, leads us through the wilderness on this last and final great exodus uh, into eternity. As Moses shepherded Israel of old, Christ, however, leads us through the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Just as Israel of old was led by cloud by day uh, and a pillar of fire by night, uh, we are led through the power uh, and the glory of God's Spirit uh, living on the inside of us. Uh, And we are prone to wonder. uh, Even at times we try to return back to the bondage uh, of which we have been redeemed. uh, The very sin from which we have been delivered. uh, But the power of God that is working uh, on the inside of us uh, will free us from the power uh, of the temptation uh, of the bondage that tries to take over our lives. I wish I had time to talk to you today about the unfruitfulness of Israel. That Israel was actually the vine that God, Jesus in John 15 when he stands up and he says this famous discourse. I am the vine and you are the branches. Most likely he was standing outside the temple in Jerusalem. A lot of people don't know that right outside the temple of Jerusalem, the ark that is over the entryway there, there was a golden vine a branch, a branch and a vine that was layered in gold. Why? Because Israel was always supposed to be the vine that would produce the fruit of God in the earth. So Isaiah describes God's activities in planting the vineyard. God tilled the soil. He cleared the stones. He planted the choices of vines. He brings, he builds a watchtower. He fashions a wine bat. He waits for the cup crop of grapes to grow so that they could make some wine. But those grapes that God planted yielded wild grapes from Israel. The prophet then delivers his most devastating blow to Israel in Isaiah 5. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. He's prophesying to Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice. But what did he find? But behold, he found what? bloodshed he looked for righteousness but behold he found an outcry an outcry of those who were oppressed within the world of Isaiah's parable Israel was the unfruitful vineyard the good grapes or more generally the fruit that God desired to see grow was that of justice and righteousness take note it is important to understand that righteousness is one of the fruit of the what of the spirit. But instead of justice and righteousness, Israel produced wild grapes. Israel produced bloodshed and oppression. Though Isaiah does not use Paul's specific terms for the works of the flesh, bloodshed is undoubtedly related to them. Was this the end of Israel? No, it wasn't the end of Israel. Because why? He prophesied one who was to come. And I'm going to end here because I don't have time to finish. He prophesied one who would be the faithful and fruitful servant who would rebuild his vineyard. In Isaiah 11, it's in your notes. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch. From his roots shall do what? 
bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his desire shall be in the fear of the Lord he shall not be judged by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Notice what he says and he finishes this. Righteousness shall be the belt upon his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So often we get away from the understanding of this Old Testament. But if we had time to dive deeper here into this text tonight, uh, we would understand that this one that Isaiah is talking about, uh, this root uh, of Jesse who would come uh, and bear fruit, uh, this servant who would be anointed through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, this one who would wear faithfulness and justice and and righteousness around his waist, uh, we would understand uh, that the one who would come, uh, who would blossom out of Israel, out of the loins and the lineage of Jesse and David uh, would be none other than Jesus Christ. God promises through the prophet that this is the shoot from the stump of Jesse whom we all know who is Jesus and he will bear the fruit of righteousness and the Messiah will have the spirit of the Lord resting upon him. The work of the servant Jesus uh, will bring what? Fruit into the whole earth. He prophesies this in Isaiah 32 for the palace is forsaken. He's talking about the desolation of Israel. The populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys. A pasture of flocks. Until what? Until the spirit is poured out from us upon us from on high. And then the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then what? Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. And righteousness will abide where? In the fruitful fruitful field and the effects of this righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness quietness and trust for us so Paul is taking this Old Testament language and giving us an understanding and a foundation an understanding and a foundation that the only way that we can walk out these characteristics of a Christ-like nature is through the power of the Holy Ghost. He told the Colossians, he said, For by Him who, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Creation was completed and ended With the first Adam standing in the midst, hear me very carefully, of a host of fruit-bearing trees. And Adam failed. The first man, Adam, failed. But Isaiah said, for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all of her waste places and makes her wildernesses like Eden. In other words, he's going to return back to Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of the song. Ladies and gentlemen, God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. And not only will it be verdant and fruitful like the first creation, but it will be marked by the fruit of righteousness and godliness. But we are called out 
the exodus of our flesh. The exodus of our flesh. We are called out to walk in the power of the fruit of God's Spirit. Living on the inside of us. Paul writes of the Isaiah servants who will send forth the fruit-bearing spirit. Peter preached to the crowd at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about what? The Spirit of Christ living on the inside of us. And that empowers us to live a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Quite literally, when we walk in the Spirit, the love that we show others, the joy that we know even during trials, the peace of God that we have and share with others through the gospel. And all of these things, we are experiencing and manifesting the very things that have been prophesied and promised for thousands of years. So ladies and gentlemen, as we go further into this text and the musicians come, let us understand that there's more to the fruit of the Spirit than just Galatians 5. There's a foundation and a call from the Old Testament to the New Testament for us to live out. You know, here's what I think our challenge is for those of us who have lived in church a long time. We we look at holiness. We look at holiness as, and, and we define living a holy life by things we shouldn't be doing. Does that make sense? Are you still with me? I'm finished. You can stand. We look at holiness as a life of things that we should not be doing. When I really think that we should look at holiness as a life of things that we should be doing. In fact, I think it could be said that It's not original with me, but I think it could be said this. If you want to know a true definition of holiness, just look at the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? We've defined holiness as a lot of different things. But I wonder if we should get back to the original design of what God created us through the power of the Holy Ghost. That holiness is a matter of the heart. Amen? Are you with me? I said, holiness is a matter of the heart. And if out of my heart is not coming love, joy, peace, goodness, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, then I do I really living a life of holiness? Probably not. What I'm doing is I'm just living a life of ritual and religion. Y'all with me? So as we dive deeper into understanding this, I want you to know that you can love people who are difficult to love. But you can only love them through the power of the Holy Ghost. 
You can get along with people you don't agree with. But you can only do it through the power of the Holy Ghost. You can be long-suffering with your children or your spouse. But you can only do it through the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's what Paul was trying to get us to see. And God is trying to get us to see this long arc of redemptive history. And I know you probably the majority of you are like, wow, we didn't spend much time in, we spent more time in Isaiah than we did Galatians. But I want you to understand where Paul's coming from. Paul was a first century Jew and he knew the story well. He knew that this didn't just show up. And he knew that the power of sin and the law, the power of death and slavery had a long history in Israel. And he wanted them to know and the Galatians to know and us to know that we can live free from the power of sin and death. We don't have to live like we used to live. I know we have struggles. I know we have failures. I know we, just like we talked about a while ago, we fall down. There's certain things in our life that become weaknesses. And you know, if you know anything about the enemy, he's strategic, right? And so the enemy finds a weakness in our life. And what does he do? He goes to work to make sure that we're always aware of that weakness. But I come to tell you over the next few weeks, you're going to find out that the power of the Holy Ghost that's in, inside of you is greater than the one that's against you. Amen. Could you just raise your hands right now all over this place, Lord? It may have been clear as mud, but I just pray that you would take your spirit and your word and build a foundation in our hearts, in our lives. Let us understand that your desire to live out in fruitful, faithful people is not just a New Testament thing. But it's across the entirety of Scripture. I pray for those that are struggling today. I pray for those that have sit here and heard me and say, David, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the weakness that I'm going through. And most likely I don't, but Lord, you do. And so I just pray for the Spirit and the power of the Holy Ghost. You said that your Spirit is an encourager. You said it was one that comes alongside. That's what your word says. And so, Lord, I just pray that your spirit, your holy, powerful, loving spirit would come alongside those that are here tonight and encourage, speak life, speak healing, and give clarity and understanding that we can live a holy and overcoming life through the power of the Holy Ghost we can love like you love we can give like you give we can be long suffering like you are long suffering with us we can be merciful and gracious through the power of the Holy Ghost so as we go into this week we go into our tomorrow Lord we just pray that the evidence of the fruit of your spirit that people would not see us but they would see you living on the inside of us Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. If you're thankful for the word of the Lord, just raise your hands right now and just worship him. We're going to seal this in worship. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. They're going to sing here. We're just going to seal this in worship. If you've got to leave, you can leave. If you want to just stay for just a moment and worship with us. We want to see you this Sunday, 10 o'clock. We're going to have a great time. Yeah.